0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets.
1: Welcome to Barks and Swagger, everyone. I'm Jody Miller Young, your host. From the comfort of our home. We've no idea what the lives of the world's strays are like, how they move through their days, what they encounter, how they survive. The new film, Stray, looks at this and more. And I'm so pleased to have on the show the gifted filmmaker of Stray, Elizabeth Lowe. Stray is already award-winning, critically acclaimed, and being released by one of the world's most respected indie film companies, Magnolia Pictures, which brought us RBG last year, you're about to experience a behind the scenes look into the making of Stray, why it's important, and how we can help animals through it. We're gonna take a short break from our sponsor, so grab that favorite beverage, get comfortable, and we'll be right back.
0: Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check. A nationwide pet insurance alternative, with Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S. Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats, regardless of pre-existing
1: conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EasyPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Let's talk pets
0: on petliferadio.com.
1: Welcome back. If you've just joined, you're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio, and I'm Jody Miller Young. Stray explores what it's like to live as a being without status or security. It does that through the eyes of three stray dogs, Zeytin, Nizar, and Kartal, wandering the streets of Istanbul, Turkey. It's heartwarming, nerve-wracking at times, and endlessly interesting as we get an unvarnished view into the belly of Istanbul street life and what it means to be displaced without home or country. Stray was the top jury prize. Now, Elizabeth, I'm giving you props before you come in. Stray was the top jury prize winner at the Hot Docs International Film Festival. After premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival last year, Variety has called it a love letter to dogs, and The Hollywood Reporter has said it's stirring and not to be missed. Its filmmaker, Elizabeth Lowe, is here with us today. I'm so, so pleased to share stories you may not see up on the screen. And the deeper meaning behind the film, you'd only get from its creator. Hi, Elizabeth. Long-winded, but it deserves a proper sort of setup so people understand what they're about to hear.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on Pet Life Radio.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Welcome to Bark and Swagger. Welcome to Pet Life Radio. We're really happy to have you. Now, the idea for Stray was informed by your personal life and loss. Tell us that story.
0: Yeah, I'm sure this is something that every dog owner can relate to. I had a dog growing up. His name was Mikey. He was my childhood dog. And when I was in college, he passed away. And I remember I wasn't there with him because I was studying abroad. And I just remember feeling this pressure almost to sort of suppress that grief at the loss of somebody who I loved so much, but somehow my grief was being informed by an external politics, I feel, that considered him as of lesser value than a human family member. And that really led me on this journey to question, you know, who are the beings that we consider to have value and not? And so I wanted to make a film that sort of asserted the value of these animals that we grow so close to, who have evolved with us to make us who we are and we them. And that led me to Zaytan, the protagonist of Stray, who I follow around for six months in Istanbul over the course of two years and discover what life is like from her perspective. And, yeah. and it really is an ode to, to my dog who had passed away and, and to all the dogs
1: that exist. Who we love very much. Now, you grew up in Hong Kong, yeah? Yeah. What was that like? How were dogs regarded and strays treated in Hong Kong?
0: I think they're regarded probably, I can't make generalizations because I think everyone who has a dog, you know, loves their dog. But I do know in Hong Kong, like New York, stray dogs are not really tolerated here. And most of them are rounded up and put in shelters. And if they're not adopted out, they get killed like it is in America. And I always found that to be, really tragic that people aren't up in arms about it. Yeah. And and when I went to Istanbul, it was such a difference, like learning about the history of how people fought and protested for the rights of stray dogs to exist and not be euthanized. That was really amazing to me.
1: What brought you to Turkey? It was 2017, yeah?
0: Yeah, it was 2017. Um, so what brought me to Turkey was I was researching places, countries around the world, because originally the film, I wanted the film to be this... Cultural comparison of how stray dogs around the world are treated and how their status within a society can change. And Turkey was my first stop because of this incredible history, which I honestly think Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs, the premise of that film, is based on this historical reality in Turkey, where At the fall of the Ottoman Empire in the 1900s, when the Ottoman Empire was really weak and there were stray dogs everywhere in Turkey, a British diplomat came to Istanbul, was chased by a pack of stray dogs and fell to his own death. But the British government decides to... Forced the Turkish one to round up all their unattended animals and banish them to this island where they would starve to death. And so people heard the dogs howling on this island where they were starving. And then shortly afterwards, World War One happened. Huge fires broke out in the city because there were no dogs to warn people. And so the people of Istanbul really saw the exiling of the dogs as a curse on the city and the country. And then so over the next hundred years, even though the government has tried to modernize the city, eradicate stray dogs from its streets. Eventually, it was the people that only in 2004 fought and protested for the rights of dogs to exist freely. And so now Istanbul, at least, is the city where dogs are allowed to roam freely. They're communally taken care of, even when they don't have owners. And once I landed there, I was just so struck by this relationship with dogs that I was so not used to um, because it wasn't based on ownership or property that I decided to set the whole film there.
1: Ah, what a beautiful story. Tell us about why Zaytan, Nazar, and Kartal. How did they enter the picture? Why did you choose them? Yeah. So
0: one day I was walking with my co-producer, Zeynep Koperlu, who lives in Istanbul with me. She would help translate and, and navigate sort of the whole terrain of Turkey with me because I was unfamiliar. And we were just walking with our cameras through this really busy underground tunnel filled with people and looking for dogs that we could potentially cast in our film. And suddenly we see these two huge dogs, Zaytan and who end up being Zaytan and Nazar. They're running and streaking through these people's feet. And it felt like that moment in Alice in Wonderland where <laughs> you're following the white rabbit. You're like, what is this dog, stray dog, on its way doing? Like, why does it seem like it's in such a hurry? What appointment does it have to make? And then we end up following them and chasing them. And they end up, they were on the heels of these young Syrian men that are in the film who are, making a living on the streets of Istanbul, side-by-side side, these dogs. And so that relationship that they had, this on-and-off-again relationship that they had with these young men was really beautiful to me. And then they lead us to Kartal, who eventually enters the story as a puppy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that really made Zeytin stand out, and I've actually spoken to Alexandra Horowitz, who is a dog-behaviorist cognitive scientist, and she says Zeytin, the main character of the film, is really outstanding – she can stare down the barrel of the camera and barely react. She can look straight past me. And that's a quality I think that most dogs don't have that they they will engage. They want to engage. Them. Exactly, exactly so her ability to not engage and to be so independent and stubborn, that's what made her the star of the film because she could really lead us on a journey that wasn't of our own design, but yeah. hers entirely.
1: So, tell us a little bit more. We get a feel for Zayton, for sure. Tell us a little bit more for people that haven't yet seen the film, what you learned about Nazar and Kartal, sort of, you know, what were they like, what they added individually to the bigger picture of the film, how they individually coped with life on the streets, that sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Nazar was hyper intelligent. She's this dog that if you watch the film, you'll see she's huge gray and has like a black face and you'll see sometimes she'll have blue markings on her coat and that's because the young men have scribbled with like blue markers onto her fur but that's because she's such a warm and laid-back intelligent dog she just allowed people to do whatever they want with her and you know they weren't abusing her or anything they were just intensely close with her they would sleep on top of her and she would give them warmth and cartel enters the film sort of middle of the way through the film cartel is this little black and white puppy who lived on this construction site with his family um, and was being taken care of by these security guards but somewhere along the way cartel is separated from his family and kind of joins this motley crew of Zaytan and nazar and the young men and um I think Nazar starts to kind of play a surrogate mother to Cartel who's feeling really lost on the streets and you kind of see it in the film like you see all the emotion that's, that this little puppy is going through on the streets Definitely. as he's adapting to this whole new life. And so I think that was the role that you see and you kind of see Zayton is less maternal than Nazar Yeah, so Zayton, like you know won't won't really is curious about Cartel but you know, it was like, I'm not going to play the mother to you. And so it's so interesting when you like set your camera on these dogs that their inner lives and their personalities are, you know, so distinct and so apparent on film. And it was such a joy to just have the time to spend months with these dogs and, and hours and hours filming them and then edit it into this film to for, for audiences to really take the time to read the micro expressions of the dogs, which I think in a lot of films, you don't give or you aren't given that kind of time.
1: Yeah, or they're dropped into a storyline, you know, so they sort of fit in that box. Let's talk a little bit about the three Syrian refugee boys, Jamil, Khalil and Ali, and sort of how they came together with the dogs. I mean, it definitely adds even more humanity to your film. Also mirrors sort of the lack of place and security that the dogs experience. Tell us a little bit about that and how they were living and surviving.
0: Yeah, I, after observing sort of the relationship that these young men had with the dogs and these young men, their deep desire to sort of acquire more dogs, whether it's through theft of other (laughs) street (laughs) puppies, you know, to sort of increase the size of their pack in a way, this Mm -hmm. makeshift family that they were forming on the streets with, with other young men and also dogs. I felt truly that had it not been for the dogs, these young men would have felt far more, even far more adrift from home and any sense of belonging. You could tell whenever the dogs would wander back into these young men's lives on the streets that they would be filled with joy and like, oh, we found our gang, we've reunited. But they were all sort of, they were not codependent on each other and they didn't own each other, of course, but they had this relationship where it felt like they were this gang, that they protected each other. And yeah, the young men, they were all like teenagers, and they lived on the streets just as the the dogs did. And I think in a very different way, I think maybe the dogs probably felt at home in Turkey, much more so than the young men. And so the dogs provided were not the dogs obviously were non judgmental of they don't dogs don't care about what passport you hold or where you're from. They don't have prejudices in that way. And I think that's why the dogs were such a haven for the young men.
1: Yeah, it's very obvious. And they do really develop sort of makeshift homes and, you know, construction sites and whatnot. And as heartbreaking it is, it was also very heartwarming to see. So yeah, you captured that beautifully. I mean, dogs, following dogs around for six months, that's challenging. What are some of the sort of behind the scenes methods you use to be able to capture what you captured besides that Zayton was such a cooperative subject? (laughs) I don't know
0: if she was that cooperative but um in order to be able to find where these dogs were the next day after filming with them you know there was no way of knowing that you couldn't give them a call sheet there were no wranglers you know they had no owners (laughs) no cell phones and so what we did was we got sponsored actually by this pet tracking company called Tractive GPS. And they're these little GPS tractors that you can just attach to a regular collar and they last for three days without charging. And you connect them with our phones and we had these iWatches sponsored by Apple that would allow us to kind of track the dogs overnight. And be able to see where they had gone. And then so in the morning, when we'd wake up, we'd see where they were in the morning and we'd we'd go find them. And sometimes, because it's you know a large city, people would steal the trackers off of the dogs. And even one time we we found Zaytan finally, and there was the, the tracker was beeping because it was running out of batteries. And all these men were surrounding Zaytan as she was just laying on the floor, like really laid back. All these men were really tense. There was a policeman there. And it's oh because my they god. Thought, they thought that maybe that this tracker was like a bomb and Zaytan was like a vessel for an oh attack. Oh my god. <laughs> so we had to explain to them. Um, but then there were also other instances when I was trying to put the collars on the dogs that Turkish people would come up to me and say, What are you doing? What are you trying to do? These are not pets, these dogs belong to the whole community. And that I thought was also very enlightening. That you know, people, everyone cared about every single one of these. in a way like if you tried to do anything to them people were gonna be up in your business
1: oh I love it
0: yeah so that was that was the experience of making that film and a lot of it also because they're stray dogs and they don't have jobs they don't have you know nowhere to be no one to answer to a lot of times we would wait and wait and wait for hours. It would be like 5 p.m. and Zaytan would still be sleeping. And we'd be like, what are we going to film today? And, and, you know, the producing side of you is like, what is the of film becoming? But then, you know, she'd wake up and on her own schedule, suddenly she'd start dashing off. And then so the rest of the day would be spent running beside her. So there was a lot of that. Wait, 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 and, and then run.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It sounds infinitely interesting and at times frustrating, but great, great sort of inside stories. Let's hold that thought. We're going to take a short break from our sponsor, but when we come back, we're going to hear more behind the scenes, tidbits and stories about this important film, Stray. So don't go away. Refresh that beverage. Get cozy. We'll be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back. Right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody Miller-Young. If you're just joining, we're here today with Elizabeth Lowe, filmmaker behind the important new movie, Stray. Stray explores what it's like to live as a being without status or security through the eyes of three stray dogs, Zaytan, Nazar, and Kartal, wandering the streets of Istanbul, Turkey. Elizabeth, you talked about crouching for six months a heck of a lot. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about viewing the world from that perspective. Yeah, I
0: mean, something that I have always found as a dog lover and as a viewer of films, very frustrating about films that have been made about dogs in the past and currently, is that when they claim to be about a dog story, they don't truly try cinematically to embody the literal perspective of dogs and at least if you're going to make a film about dogs don't set it at our height you know at six feet or five feet set it at their height two two or three feet you know to to try to transport you using what film is best most capable of doing you know communicating conveying this feeling of being in a place beyond words which is the language of dogs and so I felt it was really important to develop sort of a uh, contraption that would allow me to crouch low and follow these dogs, but not, you know, and be running with them, but also not be nauseating. And so we we built a stabilizer hanging off of um, sort of my, my waist that I'd be able to crouch with them. And to me, I don't know what the effect is. You know, I don't know how to put the words to what it means to watch an entire film from that perspective. But I do think that there's something intangible that it does to you as you're watching this film, that it it's a very literal way of challenging conventional ways of seeing. And that's the, at the heart of this film, it's is to move away from human centric stories, to move away from a world in which humans are at the center and, and see what other species have to offer. And this is sort of like my first step into that.
1: Yeah, and, and we're gonna talk more about that because I think that's a really, really interesting concept that bears looking at and reflecting on I also noticed, well, for me personally, and, and everyone who ends up watching the film will have to have their own perspective about how they view this, but watching the film from that angle, it made it really interesting because it was different and a little intense, you know, especially like when they got into situations, you know, the dogs, you know, Zayton and, and one of the, another's pack street dog get into that fight and, so I thought that it was very refreshing, you know, because it it was different. And, and I really enjoyed that. And I think I was able to experience the film in a different way because of it. But I would be really interested to hear what other people have to say as well. One thing I noticed, and you also mentioned it in, in some of the production notes, is how you had this sort of open mic so you can hear bits of conversations that people were having nearby. And you know, some of them were really interesting. One woman talking about her marriage and how it was the loveless marriage and, you know, she wasn't sure what to do about it. What made you sort of interweave that into the bigger picture?
0: I think on one level, from a filmmaking viewpoint, narratively, I knew it would be really challenging to ask audiences to completely invest in a story that you know, by a protagonist who doesn't say anything and we're not allowed access into her inner thoughts because that's it's unknowable for us that these bits of drama and like gossip from the humans around the dog would somehow function as sort of like like treats for your audience. Like you've stayed with zayton's story this long. She's, ta- <laughs> right. she's taking you to a, a type of dynamic or Intentions or drama that you're familiar with, which might have to do with love or politics. So that's how narratively I saw those moments that there were like treats for the audience, human Never. drama that we're used to, familiar with, even as you're diving into this really sort of unfamiliar territory of a non human gaze through the world. And then on, on another level, I also feel like when you frame these conversations around love and marriage and girlfriends and boyfriends fighting over Instagram, these kinds of things. That from a, when you you're seeing it through a dog's point of view, that it it will do something to that conversation. That somehow it will maybe it will undermine it or it will ground it. And you know, if you imagine a dog who is unfamiliar with social media listening to something like that, what would that dog think? And so by grounding us in Satan's perspective, all these little dramas meaning is added to them or taken away. And and that was very much sort of at the heart of the film. Like, what does humanity look like from the perspective of dog? The things that we're so concerned by, are are animals concerned by that too? And, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but that was part of the intention.
1: Yeah. Now, along those lines, you went into this film with the idea of setting this in a city where you were fascinated by what they were able to do with regards to strays. What was your biggest takeaway after spending six months in that environment with the dogs from the perspective of the dogs?
0: I think this will be probably challenging for most people to hear because prior to setting out to make this film, I also assumed that, you know, stray dogs' lives would be really sad and, you know, without love. But actually what I've discovered is, especially after I returned to the States where I live long-term, that... I really missed being a part of a city where, you know, when you walk out of a restaurant with leftovers, there's going to be somebody that you can give it to and you can participate in this daily act of grace instead of all the waste that we, we produce. And having relationships with other animals on and other species on their terms is something that I will treasure from my time in Istanbul. And I wish that the cities that I'm from, whether it's Los Angeles or Hong Kong, that there was a way that we could turn back time and go to a time when we could coexist with with dogs in this way. Although I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Once a society has kind of turned its back on the idea of stray dogs as not being a problem, it, yeah. it's hard to sort of convince people otherwise. But Istanbul feels like a very, a working model of what, what life can could be like.
1: Like a bit of an oasis in a way. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. Um, because generally, people t- you know, think, oh, my God, why don't you just take the dog and find it a loving home? That'll be so much better. But for some of these dogs, especially a dog like Zayton, it may not be so much better at all.
0: No way. Like, when I tried, <laughs> in the early days of production, when I tried to put a, a collar and leash on her to like, <laughs> try to, like, take her to a place where I wanted to film, mm. she just, the moment a collar and leash was on her, she just froze and, like, stood there and, re- and sat and refused to walk. I'm having them. it. Yeah, and what I was always amazed by was these dogs would take themselves on three hour, four hour long walks and adventures, being joined by other packs of dogs, other people, and they would, you know, just go at their leisure. And that made me think, you know, most dogs have, you know, two hours of walk a day or, you know, half an hour of walk a day. And what kind of much more compromised existence are they living? in our care based on our standards of what we think we're providing to them versus what they naturally, if they were unattended, what they would choose to do with total freedom.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. Another thing I noticed in the film was sort of this kindness in the way some strangers communicated, yes, with the dogs, but also with the boys. They met a couple of men along the way, the trajectory of the film, who gave them almost fatherly advice do you have any reflections on how human and animal strays are regarded in this particular culture and, and how that informed it?
0: Definitely. I'm so glad that you observed that and brought that up because I don't think everyone does. I think sometimes people ask, oh, it seems like the dogs are treated better than the men. But I think you're so right. And that's something that I really took away from that experience of filming too. that this warmth permeates the society, and I may be overstepping my bounds because I'm sure there's, you know a lot to critique too about the situation there.
1: It's never black and white.
0: Yeah, but what I felt, even with the security guards who were evicting the young men from the abandoned construction site, they did it with, yeah, a fatherly kind of warmth and care. You know, they're patting them on the back, they're touching them, they're not disgusted by them, and they're trying to give them advice. And I do feel that there is this connection between how stray animals are treated, and then also how, you know, we can question the motivations of why there are so many refugees allowed in Turkey, and all all the things that are constantly changing, and that's super complicated. But I have to say, a lot of people that I talked to there about the refugee crisis, they saw them as brothers in need. And and they saw their own city as a refuge for members of another country. And I think that attitude is, you know, goes beyond the political moment that Turkey might find itself in and is deep in the civilization. I definitely am probably overstepping all bounds in saying that, but that's just... It's your observation. I, as an outsider, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, which is, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing and something that the world needs to get back in touch with my humble opinion, but that leads perfectly into the bigger picture of what you are presenting in this film. And I'm going to read a quote from you to sort of set it up when xenophobia, species destruction, and nationalist sentiment are rising around the world. Stray springs from these cracks in our anthropocentric modernity. It asks us to reevaluate what it means that our streets are continuously emptied of everyone except those whom we've deemed to be its legitimate citizens. Now, that's a very powerful idea. Talk about that a little bit. I think
0: the struggle of all oppressed beings, whether you're You happen to be of a species that's not human, and therefore you have almost no rights in our world, or you're from a different country, or gender, or sexual orientation. All the things, the arbitrary factors that systems use against you to discriminate against you and to disempower you, I think that they're all connected. I see a lot of overlap between all the social justice struggles, including the fight for animal rights. And this film is. An attempt to use cinema to assert. For me, it almost, almost feels religious because it's of the, the absolute value of all beings, including this one that I happen to film over over two years. Which you know is this inconspicuous dog, but if you just pay a little attention to lives that seem insignificant or that are considered, you know, not contributing to society in a productive way in our modern sense of the word, productive, that they have such rich inner lives and have so much to offer and have so much to reveal about ourselves too, if you just look.
1: And teach us if we're open to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and for me, I'm an outsider to Turkey
0: and a, a lot of people who are watching this film will be, you know, not Turkish, and I think, I think there's a lot of narratives around countries that we're unfamiliar with. And it's such a beautiful place. And what they're doing with animals there is really incredible. And I want the film to almost act as this decolonizing tool to make you question, oh, the things I thought of stray animals or the ways in which our cities are meant to operate. That to question your own assumptions of what is con- you consider humane or not, because that was the journey I went on. I always thought, oh, the cities with stray dogs, you know, they're not taking care of their dogs, but actually it's it's the complete opposite um, is what I discovered. And, and I hope that the film, you know, sparked something in audiences to question their own assumptions. Because I think questioning your own assumptions is such an important part of helping dialogue happen between different factions of the world that may not agree.
1: Do you think that, We're too far along. It's too late in places like, you know, middle America or New York City or Los Angeles or London or Beijing. Do you think that there is a way back to go forward? That's a huge question. And it's just, it's your opinion. But what do you think?
0: I think the pessimist inside of me is even worried for the dogs of Turkey and Istanbul, where... I think, I think the film is in part an illustration of the precarity of life and whether you're a refugee or whether you're a stray dog currently tolerated by a system that I think can change overnight as we've seen throughout the world to different populations, human and animal. And I think it's a, it's a scary place to be. I hope the film functions as a more idealistic and optimistic vision of what is possible but I also feel like it could tragically be like a time capsule. This is a moment in time when when this was possible, but leap forward 10, 20 years, who knows what will happen.
1: There's a book called Pet Nation that came out in the last few months, and it looks at how pets' lives in America, but also in certain cities around the world, have transformed enormously because we start regarding our pets as our babies, as Mm -hmm. opposed to just animals. And what that's meant in every lane of society and how from the research done behind the book, it's a trend that continues to grow. So, you know, maybe there's hope there. Maybe there's hope there. It's a parallel lane. It's not the same lane, but maybe there is some hope to regard animals in a way that just another being, another being, sentient being with rights and feelings and the right to live as they want to live. I really hope so. I really hope so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't covered in the film, Elizabeth? No, I, I think this is. Oh, this good! Is, I mean,
0: you cannot see anything, and <laughs> but I just hope people. I hope that there's just a small something awakens in audiences as they stare at this movie if they get a chance to watch it, where you know it feels like there's no dialogue happening and you're just observing this dog, you know, on its daily routine. That it sparks people's imaginations somehow for the Absolutely. better.
1: Absolutely. Tell people where they can find you and Stray on social media. So, Stray has its own uh, social media. It's
0: at Stray Doc S T R A Y D O C F I L M. And my personal Instagram handle is at Elizabeth BK Lowe, where I post a lot about Stray as well.
1: Very cool. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producer, Mark Winter, who makes us sound so good. Thank you so much, Mark. My passion is living stylishly and animal rescue. So tune in next time to discover the designers, home decor, styles, and rescue stories I love. Today's story, it wasn't about rescue, but it was about honoring dogs. We do that too on Bark and Swagger. Don't forget to visit me at barkandswagger.com. We'll find great fashion, shelter stories, and more. So until next time, when fierce fashion calls, Bark and Swagger.